Blog Talk Radio. Listening to the Hollywood Boulevard podcast, hosted by Jonathan Moody and Donnie Sturgis. But not tonight. Again, it's the producer, <laughs> Alfred Crane, hosting the Hollywood Boulevard podcast with his sidekick, Dr. Zayas, the 19 year old cat who's looking on at the phone going, What is going on? <laughs> so tonight we've got um, Jonathan. Say hi, uh, Jonathan. Hey, what's up? <laughs> and we're joined by our stalwart um, co-host, Donnie. Hey, everybody. And we've got our special guest tonight, Beth Phillips, from the Make It So-So podcast. And before we get started, I'd like Beth to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about Make It So-So. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, everybody. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to talk with you about Star Trek, which is near and dear to my heart. Um so Make It So-So is a podcast that I host with my two good friends, uh, Dan Polito and, and uh, Chris Newman. And we talk about all the not-so-great episodes of Star Trek, but um, they still occupy a special place in our heart. We still love them all. Um, so you can find us on the web at makeitsosopodcast.com. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to, to have you tune in sometime. Yeah, they're they're really fun, and I laughed out loud a lot. And they had a lot of <laughs> things you. that made me go, hmm. So, um <laughs> Yes, tonight. So tonight's show, we're talking about um, Star Trek: The Next Generation, the early years, and um, it spans seven seasons. And I was thinking about doing the first season or two, and then really boiled it down to season one. After um, I was listening to a few Make It So So episodes, and I was like, um, it gave me an opportunity to review some old episodes. And um, to take us back, um, the show premiered in 87, almost 18 years since the cancellation of the original series, even though they had a, up to like four movies they had made up to that point. 86 mm-hmm. was Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. And and just in the first season of Next Generation, they won several awards, um, a few daytime or a few Emmy awards and a Peabody Award, which was an award... Um, given to the most powerful, enlightening, invigorating stories in television, radio, and now online media. And that was for an episode called The Big Goodbye, which introduced us to some film noir concepts. And um, Next Generation really kind of took it to the next level a bit. Gene Roddenberry carried his social vision in, and it somewhat was hampered the show um, to somewhat, because he had some struggles with his writers and he definitely had a vision that he wanted to pursue and mainly focused on social issues and um, gender neutrality, which, which was kind of funny because in Encounter at Farpoint and I think The Lonely Among Us, uh, you can, or where no one has gone before, you can actually see men walking around in the miniskirts, which I found <laughs> quite humorous. I was like, wait a minute, what the heck? And, um, and they had different things that they had addressed in the show. So um, a little background it takes place about 70 years after the original series and um, with a new crew and new adventures. But spanning four or five shows, and depending on your age group, 
Um, Beth suggested this question. Um, what was your favorite Star Trek series? Was it the first one you saw, or or what was the first ser- Star Trek series you did see? So we'll start off with um, Beth, and then we'll go to Jonathan and Donnie. Yeah, so I submitted this question because I have a, a somewhat of a working theory on people's favorite series. Um, and I only have two data points to confirm this. But um, So my theory is that your favorite one is probably the one that was on TV when you got home from school as a kid. Um, and for me, that was always Next Gen. It was the one that was on daytime TV, like, as soon as I got home on, I don't even remember what channel, probably UPN. Um, and I fell in love with it. And I kind of describe my relationship with Star Trek as being, like, my first childhood crush. Like, I had my first crush on one of the characters, you know. Um, and I just loved it, and it stuck, stuck with me. And then I sort of, like, re-fell in love with it when I was in uh, graduate school. Um, and watch the whole series again. So I have a friend who had a very similar experience, but hers was, was with Voyager, and, like, she's a few years younger than me, um, and that was the one that was on, on when she got home from school. So I have, you know, that's my, like, sort of curious theory, and I'm always looking for data points to confirm or deny. But, yeah, I'd be curious to hear what you guys have to say for sure. All right, Jonathan. Uh, all right, well, I never grew up on Star Trek, so I'm like, I'm the only, I'm the odd man out here of the whole group. <laughs> like, it just was not my thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's, that's the beauty of this show is that we're able to do, mm-hmm. like, things that, like, interest, you know, us. And I know both uh, Donnie and uh, and Alfred are both big um, Star Trek fans, I'm, I'm pretty sure. So, um, you know, I was cool with this. <clears throat> but um, I guess uh, Next Gen was the only one, like, because you're, you're probably right, I, I I you know it grew it was on TV when I was a when I was a kid and I would mm-hmm. see it on you know I would see it on TV so that was probably the first thing I ever like saw as far as Star Trek goes uh, and stuff um, and it was probably the the only thing that really comes to my mind just because I'm not a Star Trek fan so that would mm-hmm. be like just next gen would be probably the the one I would actually hold up there so that would be my answer. Cool. Okay, cool, Jonathan. Thanks. Uh, Donnie, go ahead, sir. Well, as is uh, typical when you ask me a question, you're going to get a long-winded <laughs> rambling answer. Because um, almost all of my answers have a backstory to them. So as I was, when I was a kid growing up, um, probably like maybe six or seven years old, um, the original Star Trek series was on in syndication, uh, on a couple of our local channels. And so, uh, especially when I lived in Florida, um, it was like, um, it was like 5 PM, uh, Batman, the, the 1960s series. And then like following up Batman, uh, cause they would do, they would, they would do an hour of Batman cause they would do both, uh, both episodes of the, of each two parter of Batman. And then like at six, they would show Star Trek. Um, mm-hmm. As a kid, I didn't like the original Star Trek series because it, it felt boring to me. Like I, I like it just it didn't hold my attention. But as I got older, because my dad was a huge fan of Star Trek, the original. As I got older, like maybe like nine, ten uh, years of age, I really started to enjoy the the original Star Trek series more than more and more. And, I, and so, I was really a huge fan by the time I got to ten. And then, then went. I think the first Star Trek movie I got to see in theaters was Star Trek Four, uh, which was right um, on the heels of the Next Gen. And I remember, I remember very specifically, I remember the day, because uh, my parents, you know, bought TV Guide. And so TV Guide was a, was a huge staple in our household. And I remember the first day 
uh, the first time that I opened up a TV guide and there was an ad for a new Star Trek series, Next Generation, and it showed the faces of the entire crew. And I was like, what is this? Like, this is weird. And this was probably like, um, this was like in the late 80s. Um, 90s, 80s and 90s reboots of like older shows was starting to become a thing. Like Dragnet had a, had a reboot uh, movie and stuff. And so, but it was one of those things where there was a lot of backlash for that sort of thing. So yeah, anybody out there who thinks that like that Hollywood has run out of ideas and is doing nothing but reboots now, they've always done reboots. The 80s was huge for reboots as well. Um, Monsters, uh, there was a lot of reboots in syndication. Monsters Today was a reboot in the 80s. Um, uh, um, like we talked about last week, um, uh, Twilight Zone. So reboots have always been around. In the 80s, was a, there was a huge surgence. And so when I saw Star Trek, I was like, oh, man, this is never going to work. Nobody's going to like this. And then I watched Encounter at Farpoint, and I loved it. I loved every aspect of it. And that ended up because I think they, I think in my area, I think they, I think it aired on Saturday nights um, in syndication, like at like 7 p.m. I think it was it was Saturday nights at 7 p.m. like on one of our local affiliates, and so I think it was like even a Fox affiliate too, if I remember correctly. I never missed an episode. I, <laughs> I would, I would forego homework to make sure that I <laughs> watched the latest episode. I became a huge. Uh, Star Trek fan at that point. I, and so to make a long story short, too late. Um, <laughs> I think, I think, I, I think Beth has, I think Beth has, has, uh, is on the right, uh, is on the, has the right idea here. I, as much as I love the original series or I grew to love the original series as a kid, next gen was really where my heart was when that, I, I never missed an episode. I loved every single episode of Star Trek from that point on. Um, the, the Locutus episode, the two-parter, that was the worst summer of my life. Having to wait to find out if they were going to blow up uh, the board ship was the worst summer. Having to sit there and wait for that cliffhanger. So, anyway, again, Star Trek Generation, that, that's my experience with Star Trek. And, and uh, yeah, I'd have to say Star Trek Next Gen ended up becoming my favorite uh, of all the series, even though I still have a huge love for the original. Uh, I think Next Gen was the one that really knocked it out of the park for me. Yeah, thanks, Donnie. Um, I had a similar experience. Um, my um, early years, Star Trek would come on Saturday nights, the original series, except I had to sit through Soul Train and Dance Fever to get to Star Trek. <laughs> I remember those shows. Oh, oh man. <laughs> this is like in the early 80s. We were living right. in upstate New York. So that was how I always. I mean, I have. I think I had some trauma from watching those things, waiting for Star Trek to come on. Instead of going to read the book, you just waiting. And then, um, but those are so fun. They go. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Alfred. I was saying those are so fun to sort of like go back and relive Soul Train. Like going back and watching them now, you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy this is a thing. (laughs) But I'm also so happy it's over. (laughs) Anyways, keep going, Alfred. Mildly interested in the cartoon train. I was like, that's pretty cool. And then it's like, okay, it got boring. <laughs> and then when uh, Next Gen came on, I was like, wow. Because they had, and I think, I don't know if you grew up in, you grew up in this area, right, Donnie? Um, no, actually, well, I moved around um, a lot. My, um, I, I, I actually, when I was a young kid, my dad, uh, my dad and my stepdad were stationed here in Norfolk. But then okay. we moved out to Pennsylvania 
then moved down to Florida, then moved back up to Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So most of my upbringing was actually in Pennsylvania with a few stops here and there. Uh, so, yeah, most, mostly, I'm, I'm mostly a Pennsylvania guy, so that, that's okay. my claim. Because you had mentioned the Fox affiliate, and I remember it was on Saturday nights here at 7 on Channel 33, WTVZ. Mm-hmm. And um, we'd be playing Dungeons & Dragons or Twilight 2000 or some kind of board game, but everything stopped at 7 o'clock, and we'd gather around the TV to watch Star Trek The Next Generation. And even to the, I mean, we were, we had some laughs with the show. We used to get the old cordless phones, and it almost looked like a Star Trek phaser. So we'd be playing that at each other and doing silly crap. But, but I, yeah, I remember I had a lot of affinity for Star Trek, the original series, but the next gen definitely, I felt like I grew up with that. And the Locutus episode you had mentioned was definitely, I had to go to Paris. Locutus happened... Picard got assimilated, and then I went to Marine Corps boot camp that summer. So I had to sit through um, Paris Island, South Carolina, through the summer, through the fall, and then I think I got home right when that episode came out, or it was a couple – no, it came out a couple weeks before I got home with some of my friends. Please record it. Do not tell me what happens. <laughs> so that was crazy town. Well, cool to- – um, so, so in this series, we we had mentioned Encounter at Far Point, where we get to meet Data, Worf, Geordi, Doctor Crusher, Tasha Yar, Will Riker, Deanna Troy, and Wesley, and then um, we were introduced to the um, godlike Q, and um, a story that was interesting. Um, we're getting the, the characters are definitely took a season to get into their own, so. Um, what was your first episode of Star Trek and your reactions to it um, then and possibly now? Outside, let's um, maybe after Encounter at Farpoint, um, that one's kind of synonymous, or even if it is that one. So, Beth, why don't we go with you? Hmm. I don't know if I remember exactly what my first episode was. I can tell you, like, well, how about I've gone back and watched. Oh, favorite. Oh, goodness. Um, so I think in the there. early, if if I had to pick one for like the early series, and it's one that's often picked, is probably Measure of a Man, um, mm-hmm. which I believe is in the second season, um, and that that one is often touted as like one of the best ones of all time. And like one of the things that even Encounter at Farpoint sets up early in in the TNG sort of like canon and universe is this really heady ideas of like morality and humanity and those sorts of things, which the original series did too. But I think next gen really just brought it into like another age and like was for a new type of TV, like these type, like next gen works well for being sort of the modern age of television. Whereas like the original series was very, felt very 1960s, like everything moved very slowly, you know, the music was slow and that sort of stuff the next gen sort of like took some of those things and in my opinion, just like made them a lot better and told the stories a little better. Um, But yeah. So anyways, uh, measure of man is all about um, basically questioning data's personhood. Um, And he has to go on trial basically to prove that he has all the rights of an act of a person. Um, And what's interesting about it is that these themes that are brought up in this episode and like, you know, the late eighties and early nineties, we're still wrestling with today. So I, my training, I actually um, work in robotics. I'm a robotics researcher. 
Um, and yeah, and so le- these are things that we still talk about in robotics. Like the EU just last week released this big open letter about granting robots rights um, and what that would be like and stuff. And it's, it's just cool to think about that, like the show through fiction and sci-fi, you know, these are ideas that have been thought about for a long, long time. But even today, as there's still the technology is like slowly getting to that point, like we're still wrestling with those ideas. So it's a great episode. Um, Riker ends up having to like argue against data, which is great. So it sets up like a really cool element of their friendship and stuff like that. And yeah, it's just really great. So if I had to pick one of my favorites from the early seasons, like Measure of Man would definitely, definitely be up there for sure. But I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say. Yeah, that one's a, a great choice. Um, um, one of my um, reactions when Farpoint came in, one of the the neat things outside of the World War III perspective in the post-apocalyptic Earth was mm-hmm. was kind of interesting. But the part that really like got me, like I remember Will Riker meeting Data in the holodeck, and so mm-hmm. we're introduced <laughs> to new areas of recreation, like the holodeck and the whole Pinocchio thing. But um, one of the coolest parts of it that really floored me is when DeForest Kelly played an unnamed old timer um, talking to data on the ship. And he was like, you don't have ears and, or, you know, are your ears pointed? And, but it was DeForest <laughs> Kelly doing a cameo. It's kind of like an older McCoy. And I thought that was really cool. But um, I would have to say one of my favorite early ones, I mean, there, there are a few that um, stand out, but um, I really liked um, Conspiracy because that one was right at the time. I think the X-Files were coming up and have always been a – that one just had action, intrigue, and, and it was one of the first times one of the funniest things that we laugh at is um, when the guy – I mean, phasers didn't seem very effective because the old dude just kind of like stepped out of the way. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> This is faster than light. You just go do this kind of jazzercise move. So, <laughs> so uh, there's a great I, like scene I think in that episode where Riker I think gets kicked by the older guy, and it's like <laughs> the most ridiculous kick you've ever seen. Like no one's leg could humanly bend in that way. Like it's really great. You should you should check it out. <laughs> so um, cool. That is because that old guy was like, man, he. Oh, you, you said and make it so so he's on vitamins or something. <laughs> I'm taking vitamins. Uh, all right, Dottie, what's you're up? Um, we're talking about like favorite episodes from the first couple of seasons, right? Yeah. Well, let's see. Second season, I, I I'm actually rewatching the show again because partly because Netflix has the remastered ones where they have the upgraded special effects for high definition. So I'm kind of going through them right now, and I cannot. Well, I can't. I, I wouldn't. I don't say I can't. I can't stand, but I didn't realize just how bad like seasons one and two really, really are in comparison to the later ones. I mean, there are some good ones. Don't get me wrong, but but. Uh, Clearly, season one and season two, they're still trying to find their footing. Season mm-hmm. two, I actually cannot stand um, Dr. Pulaski. I can't stand her at all. I hate Dr. Pulaski. I remember as a kid, because I had a huge crush on uh, Beverly Crusher. Like, I, <laughs> I had a huge crush on Gates McFadden. And when she left for second season, I was so pissed. And then they brought in Dr. Pulaski, and I was like, this woman, I hate her. She sucks. She's racist against Data. I hate her. And so... 
Anyway, I digress. Um, I think I have to pick the same episode that you did, Alfred. Conspiracy is probably one of my favorites from the first couple of seasons, partly because just of how much they were able to get away with. Um, I mean, granted, it was a syndicated program. Syndicated programming at that time was able to get away with a lot more. Um, again, going back to like like Freddy's Nightmares and stuff like that, they were able to get away with a lot more because they were in syndication. So they didn't fall under the, the standard FCC uh, guidelines as, as regular network programming. But the thing that I love so much about Conspiracy was that it was basically um, invasions of, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It was, it was oh, yeah. basically like they were injecting a horror element into Star Trek Next Generation, and I loved it. And then on top of that, it had one of the most gruesome scenes I've ever seen on Next Gen ever, and that's the one where they sit there and they, they basically blow the thing, like they blow the, the, the Admiral and, and his group up. And it's a huge explosion, and then you see ribcage, and, like, all these little gross little, like, uh, parasites just fall out and on fire. Like, I remember vividly, it was like, you see them blow up, and, like, for a brief second, you see, like, their eyeballs and, like, their brain and everything as it explodes. And then you see this gruesome, like, like these three bodies just sitting there with, like, the ribcages hanging out and everything. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe they got away with this. I was a kid. <laughs> it blew my mind, because that was the type of stuff you would only see in, like, maybe, like, an R-rated horror film or something. Um, so I'd have to say that was that's probably my favorite episode just because of how much they got away with, and I just love the 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 invasion of the body snatchers element to it, and I love you know I love the fact that they, you know it was it was it was kind of a paranoid uh, horror uh, element added to that episode, and everything and just and the way everybody reacted to it was so good like Picard and, and the way Picard Riker um, panel situation was so well done I just I that's probably my favorite episode of the first couple of seasons I'd have to say hands down. Yeah, and then they had the the grub eating, and then they had the guy from Hills Have Eyes. I think he was like, "Watch your back, Picard." <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ew, Wait, Michael Berryman was in that episode. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's funny. Um, hey, uh, Alfred. Um, really, yeah. uh, I'm not going to be able to answer this uh, question anyway because I wasn't able to do my homework. And I wasn't able to All watch right, a lot of the cool. episodes because I was uh, uh, extremely busy this weekend compared to what I thought I would be. Um, <laughs> but uh, I do real quick, uh, since I'm in charge of the Twitter thing, and we have about eight minutes before this cuts off live, I wanted to get to the things that people have asked and or uh, the well, – well, first one to the poll that you put up uh, earlier today. Uh, favorite ne- Next Generation – First season villain, and uh, your answers were Q, N, um, and then there's another one, the Ferengi. Ferengi. Uh, yeah, this is Ferengi. Um, Allure and uh, um, let's see, and Dadalore, and Armus and Skin of Evil. All right, uh, number 25, or 25% went to Q. Uh, Zero percent went to the Ferengi, so maybe I don't know. Poor uh, Ferengi. Maybe it's yeah, poor Ferengi. They're the worst. Fifty percent went to Lore in uh, Data Lore, and uh, twenty another twenty five percent went to Armus. So all right, and they still you still have a day left to vote. So if you want to vote, go to uh, H L L Y. A W O O D B L V D pod, so Hollywood Boulevard pod without a couple of letters, um, and then because uh, of Twitter, 
Um, <laughs> and then we've got, uh, I guess we got a question from who that, which is, uh, uh, dat ass is my boss. Uh, that's the hashtag. I'm guessing that's a friend in, uh, Beth. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He, he said, hello, question for Beth for tonight's episode. Beth, why is season one of TNG the best season? Your pal. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. So just for our listeners, Newman is one of the co-hosts of the Make It So So podcast. And as I mentioned, we review some of the not so good episodes, but I always love the worst episodes. And I think that's why season one is the best. Uh, so I know, you know, Donnie, you're not the biggest fan of the first two seasons, but I love them dearly. And I, I have a theory that it's because after reviewing them all for Make It So So, like it's been such a fun time like diving into them and really it's it's like it's like bad good you know <laughs> it turns sure, into sure. like going from something that is like just not that fun to watch to being something that's like silly and bizarre so season one's great Riker's great I feel like I don't know I just they have a special place for me and I think season one has like interesting ideas and and wacky stuff and We've covered a bunch of them for Megas and so, so I, that's why for me, uh, season one is definitely the best. <laughs> uh, but I, I can definitely see why others would not share that opinion. Well, I have one, coming up one we, more question. Let me, oh, yeah. let me get this real quick. To, well, yeah. Go ahead, Alfred. No, I was going to say we got five minutes left of the live broadcast. Then we're going to cut off, but you can catch our final 15 minutes on the recorded podcast, so we invite you to come back and join us there. So go ahead, Jonathan. Okay. So uh, another question is uh, from Warp Speedo. Um, that's Warp uh, <laughs> underscore Speedo. Um, awesome. Hollywood Boulevard Pod, Injustice, uh, Picard risks everyone's lives to save Wesley. Is there anyone on board that he wouldn't have done that for? Yes, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Beth, do you want to answer that? Yeah, so I think, so in that episode, the Picard has to choose basically to violate the prime directive to save Wesley. Um, and my working theory is that I feel like if he would do it to save Wesley, he would probably do it to save everyone on board because Wesley at this point is not commissioned in any way on the ship. He's just I think he might be an acting ensign by that point in the show. But, um, yeah, so I think he would do it for anybody. What do you guys think? I think he, I think he would do it for anybody but Pulaski. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. He doesn't initially like her very much either when he no, meets her they, for the first time. <laughs> they, they butt heads quite a bit uh, at the beginning of the second season. Like, in fact, he, tried to avo- he tries to avoid her at all costs in the first half of the season – and then every time she she comes she, she walks over she's like oh data's a machine and is he a toaster and then Picard's yeah. like how dare you woman he's a man and she's like oh I can put toast in him and Picard's like no what are you doing he can do things better than you like like they butt heads on that like it's so weird because like I said I'm watching the first couple of seasons I'm, I'm I'm halfway through the second season again and it amazed me I don't remember Pulaski being so. Um, so biased like against awful. Data for as, as much as she was. Um, so it's, it's just funny to watch her the whole time. She's like, oh, can I plug Data in and can he do my hair? And then Picard's like, how dare you, woman? 
he's a fully functioning member of this crew. And, and then she's like, oh, but can he, can he make me coffee? And he's like, he, he frankly, like, you can see the, the, the face, the look on Picard's face. He wants to slap her so bad. And he doesn't because he's a captain. And then, and then I, I think it changes like that, that episode where she goes to, where, where she has to do that operation on Picard to fix him. I think that's kind of mm-hmm. where it all changes. He kind of has a newfound respect for her, for her at that point. But before mm-hmm. that, man, it was constantly like Picard just wanted to slap her in the face because he was always talking data down. And I was just like, I was having none of that, man. I was like, what the hell is wrong with you, woman? Get off the ship. Bring back <laughs> yeah, your crush. Maybe she should have Tasha Yar's um, submission to forum for her encounter with data. Maybe that would have changed Dr. Pulaski's um, views on robots <laughs> that are fully functional. Right. Maybe. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, that one of the cool things with the first season, rewatching them, you know, bringing up rewatching the series, is the cinematography and the stories and the way they even did stage some of the fights are so reminiscent of the original series, and a they lot are. of the musical really are. scores are so close to the the early series. And um, one of the things I was watching Data Lore last night was this, the score to that when they're going through um, the home planet that Data's from, which um, sounded reminiscent of the Alien music. So if you listen to that again, hmm. watch that again, listen to the music to that, and then listen to the music of Alien, you'll be like, huh, that, right. that sounds similar. So I'll if you recognize up. that and want to get back to me on that, let me know. And then they have one of the most horrible, the worst character name. It's so rip-off. I mean, like, how could you not come up with something original for Doc Data's creator, Noonien Soon? I'm like, <laughs> really? Noonien Singh? Are they, like, kind of, like, related or something? Or mm. Yeah, Noonien Singh was Khan, and then I know they're not related, but I was just like, they did a lot of stuff that was kind of like, eh, you could have done better there. Mm. But, yeah, they're... There was a lot of derivative stuff in that show. Especially the ships. They retread a lot of the ships. And I'm like, oh, that was one of my big hang-ups was the ships and Tasha Yar throwing everybody. Hi, we're from the Federation. <laughs> then Tasha Yar throws them across the room. <laughs> <laughs> that's why she had to go. That's right. So, well, that's a good segue into our favorite characters of the show. We can have a couple, and I'll just throw out. I really, as the show grew on, I really came to like Worf. But early on, Data was funny, and um, you know, watching it again, I'm actually liking Tasha Yar because she's kind of a tough gal and she doesn't take crap. But Picard, I really liked his his character. So I'll throw those out there. I dis I despised Wesley. I'm still trying to work <laughs> through that in my my um, life uh, because you have this. My friend Gary and I would talk about it a lot. That here's these people who went to 15 years of studying astrophysics at Starfleet Academy, and they're like, "I'm good assigned to the Enterprise. I want to be the helmsman." And then, oh crap, my shift was taken by Wesley. <laughs> you can just imagine the resentment <laughs> that went on board that ship. So. But anyways, I digress. I threw a couple of my favorites and least favorites out there. And then one of the funniest things that I thought was funny was, um, I think, I don't know if I read it somewhere, but Troy was saying that she felt like an intergalactic cheerleader in her first episode. And, and they kind of changed. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I'm going to throw that out there to 
to Beth and I, I yeah. stepped on you, Beth. Go ahead. That's okay. I like your point about just quickly to work around of that, your point about the, like you could imagine, you know, going through all that time at the Academy and then someone who has, who's like 14 years old and has no training to like take your shift. There's a really good episode, like in the later part of the series called the lower decks where they talk to lower level, like officers, not even officers, I guess, lower level, like enlisted personnel um, and, and explore, like, there's, like, three or four of them explore what their life is like, and there's a lot of complaining about their bunks and, like, you know, stuff that you would imagine, like, being lower ranked to, to complain about. Um, and, yeah, I don't know if they talk about Wesley particularly, but I feel like that would be a fun fun storyline to follow through on, like, have them talking about how they resent the fact that, like, this kid got their job and, you know, like, the nepotism that might have come with that because his mom's the chief medical officer and stuff. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. But um, so my favorite character of all time by far, hands down, is definitely Riker. He was my, like, first childhood crush. Um, the rewatches are always silly because he's, like, the he, – he reminds me – he's, like, the Kirk, I think, analogy from the original series, whereas Picard is. is the more level-headed one, you know, more like the Spock, I guess. Um, but I grew to like much more Worf by the time the series was over um, because they flesh in the beginning, he's just sort of like, like very one dimensional, you know, he just rushes in the situation and wants to beat everything up or shoot everything with a phaser. Um, <laughs> but by, by, he does like, I think in one of our, one of the episodes we reviewed was the child. It's one where Troy, it's first episode of season two where Troy is impregnated by like this mysterious space entity. And there's a bunch of scenes in it where Worf like basically like wants to beat up a baby. Like pretty much he's like, it's a threat to the ship. And it's like, it's insane, right? It's totally nuts. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> totally crazy. Um, but uh, yeah, so, uh, but by the end of the series, he, he really develops like a lot. He even in the last, season like him and Troy develop a romantic relationship which is kind of nuts when you think about it um and those sorts of things so I think if I had to pick one by far of Riker for sure but one that I think I grew to love was definitely definitely Worf yeah I can relate to that because his head got more in proportion to his body towards the end yeah yeah the the costuming certainly got better over time (laughs) and he wasn't growling all right Donnie go ahead well, uh, my it's funny because um, when that show when the show first started, it was clear that um, the Star Trek was trying to appeal to the uh, to the Trekkies, you know, who were who were you know the original Trekkies and stuff. And of course, a lot of them were, were hemming and hawing over the fact that this new Trek was. Because I remember the debates, man. New Trek is not old Trek, and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And so. But on the other hand, the show really was trying to appeal towards kids. And I was, um, let's see, that came out in 87, so I was in seventh grade. So I was about 13 years old when that, when, when that show came out. And I will admit, I was a huge fan of Wesley Crusher because Wesley was supposed to be the surrogate for the young audience. Mm. That was the whole point of Wesley. And I, I bought into Hook, Line, and Stink, uh, Hook, Line, and Sinker because I was like, Man, I could be Wesley. Like that could be me. Like I'm smart. Like Wesley, I could I could be on a ship. I could I could be like feel promoted to to acting ensign. Like like so I I lived vicariously through um through Wesley in the first couple of seasons. Now I totally agree with Alfred because when Rick Berman took over, 
the show from Roddenberry, especially after Roddenberry's death. Bourbon famously hated Wesley so much that he treated like he he purposely wrote the character to be hated. He mm-hmm. and in fact even um even Will Wheaton has has gone on and said that his relationship with with Berman was horrible. When he 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 tried to get out of his contract many times, and Berman was like, "No, you're going to stay here and do the show." But then Berman would keep writing really awful things for Wesley to do on the show, and then Wesley and, and then Will Wheaton would be like, "Well, I want to go do this movie that um that I that I'm trying out for," and Berman was like, "No, you're going to stay here and do the show." And then he would like then he would do an episode where Wesley does some shitty thing, and then everybody's like, "Oh, so." I, I, I feel like it's unfortunate because Wesley gets a bad rap, partly because of the hatred that Berman had for the character. Because I think, I think first couple of uh, seasons of Wesley were actually pretty decent. And again, he, he acted as a good surrogate for the young viewers like me, who really was just like, oh my God, I'm living vicariously through him. Um, once Wesley started to become a pain in the ass, I quickly switched over to Data. I loved Data's journey. I, I've always loved the whole idea of somebody trying to figure out their humanity. Uh, and I think Data Worf is another good example of this. Data was one of the was one of the characters they really put a lot of effort into, in, in as far as character development went. He's come a long way. You know, he went from the early day. Like it's funny how even in the in the first season though, he shows a little bit more um, uh, emotion. Like even if it's fake, but he. he there's, there's actually scenes like in the first couple of seasons where he actually laughs and actually smiles at, at what people say. And, and then later on, they kind of took that away from him. But I think Data has always been my favorite character because I've always, I liked watching his journey. I also loved watching his friendship with Jordy. That was one of my favorite mm-hmm. aspects of the show, which is watching that friendship blossom over time because the two of them were just such really good friends. Uh, so yeah, eventually like data became the one that I, and that's one of the reasons why I hate nemesis so much because nemesis just shat all over data. I was so upset with the way they handled data and, and what B4, whatever the hell that is supposed to be. Um, but yeah, I, I, I feel like, I do feel like Wesley gets a bum rap because it's, and again, it had a lot to do with the politics on the show at the time, Rick Berman and his hatred for the character and his disdain for, for Will Wheaton. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's I think that finishes my answer actually. <laughs> cool. That's a good point. Um well speaking of villains, um we'll transition to villains in this in this first series. Uh, one of the ones got, that I uh, left we off got about of... seven hey Alfred, we got about seven minutes left. And right. um I don't I don't want us to be able to not get the plugs in real quick, at least. Um right. so Yeah, go uh, ahead and do the plugs. Well, uh, I guess let's um, let's hit up Beth. Beth, uh, how can people reach you? Oh, oh, good question. So you can reach uh, me on Twitter. I am Beth uh, Phillips underscore Beth, um, or through Make It So So. Like I mentioned, we are Make It So So Cast on Twitter and Make It So So Podcast at uh, Gmail and Make It So So Podcast dot com. So all of those all those ways are a good way to reach uh, me specifically and also the podcast more generally. We'd love to hear from you and um yeah, hopefully we'll have some good crossover collaborations as a result of this this first one. So I'm excited. Thanks guys. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, generations. <laughs> <laughs> right, for sure. Um and so uh you can, you know, uh reach Hollywood below our podcast at H well as I said uh, H-L-L-Y-W-O-O-D-B-L-V-D-P-O-D. Uh, so Hollywood Boulevard Pod without uh, a couple of the letters. And then um, uh, and you can do that on Twitter, but then on uh, Instagram and Facebook, we're just at Hollywood Boulevard Podcast because 
Twitter sucks in that, for you know, in that way, and uh, everybody else rules. Um, so uh, those are the only ways that you can, those are things. And then uh, personally, for me, uh, you can reach me at Jonathan Moody on Twitter. Uh, I was lucky enough to get actually get that. Um, and then there's uh, Jonathan A Moody Film on uh, Instagram and uh, Jonathan A Moody on Facebook. Alfred, you. Yeah, it can be reached at Alfred Crane on Facebook, and it's the one that says works for Ace Tomato Company. <laughs> and um, and then you can also reach me at the Video Alternative and the Video Alternative Part 2 on Facebook and, of course, Hollywood Boulevard Podcast on Twitter and um, Facebook. All right. Uh, Donnie. Everywhere. I'm in your head. I'm all over the place. Um, well, Facebook is the big one. Uh, Donnie Sturges uh, uh, on Facebook. Um, I do have a, a, a slowly defunct Baby Skeletor page on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Um, the Adventures uh, of Baby Skeletor is no longer uh, actively updating, but I can still be rich through both of those. Um, I will be having, I will be getting a, a new, uh, a personal Instagram here soon. I do have, uh, I think I do have a, a Twitter account as well. I think I'm Donnie Sturges on Twitter as well. So you could probably reach me there too. I don't use it very often, but if you message me on there, I will answer. Um, and I think that's pretty much it for me from now. Um, I got a podcast that I'm working on bringing up here probably by the, by summer. It's still in the works right nice. now. I don't want to give it away too, too, too soon. Uh, but I think it's going to be kind of fun. Um, but once that uh, goes live, I will definitely put that, uh, uh, add that to the list of places where you can find me. So that, that'll cover everything. Um, and cool. as for events, events coming up, uh, the Hollywood Boulevard podcast, at least myself and Alfred for sure, will be at Scares I Care weekend at the Six Lick Productions booth and table. So you can come check us out there. Um, not I will be out at Texas Frightmare Weekend, uh, not this Thursday, but the following Thursday. I'll be going out there, so um, uh, people will be able to look out for me on there. And um, I think, and Donnie, you're thinking of coming to Scares I Care, right? If you can, if you're uh, uh, I'm gonna, free. I'm going to try to. There, there's got a lot of filming going on this year. Uh, this summer and stuff with uh, John Johnson of Darkstone Entertainment. So we'll see. I'm going to try to make it, though I can't guarantee anything just yet. I will be, um, just FYI, I will be at Tidewater Comic Con uh, the weekend of May 13th, I think. Um, I'm Mm -hmm. actually going there because uh, Matt Ryan of Constantine is going to be there. And, oh, Gates Gates McFadden is going to be there as well. So that's how apropos. Um, But, yeah, Tidewater Comic Con. (laughs) In Virginia Beach, the weekend of the 13th, I will be there uh, in case anybody uh, wants to stalk me. Uh, I will be available for said stalking. <laughs> cool. Awesome. One thing uh, that, hey, um, uh, oh, go ahead, Alfred. One thing that um, a little – it's not an inside joke, but my friend Gary and I, we collected, like, Star Wars figures, and when Next Gen came out, it was another opportunity to collect figures – but the only figure we could seem to find was Riker. <laughs> they must have anticipated a lot of teenage girls would want a Riker figure, or a lot of guys would want Riker figures. But you couldn't find, like, Picard or any other ones. just seems like, there's Riker again. But um, I wanted to leave off with a quick round 
like 30 seconds to say your favorite villain and um, from the early season, from season one. And mine, I thought it would be Q, but after watching Lore, he's a son of a bitch. And I was like, damn, he's a good villain. So I'll pass it off to Beth. Yeah, I, my favorite villain is probably Armus. I voted for Armus. He's the, the goo monster from the end of season one. And I like him not because he's a good villain, but just because it's so weird and bad. It's crossed that threshold to be go from bad to bad good. So, yeah, it's definitely Armus. So silly. All right. Cool. And Donnie? I got to go with my boy Q. Uh, John Delancey <laughs> kills it every time he's on screen. Uh, Q is probably – he's the most consistent. He's there from beginning to end. Um, the only time I didn't like Q was when Voyager ruined him. Um, mm. But uh, other than that, uh, John Delancey for the win, man. Q is just amazing. Right. Just so much fun to watch, cool. funny, just great. He was funny to war if I remember he said eat any good books lately. He was always busting on war. Poor guy. <laughs> That's why Q like I it's hard to tell if he's a villain or a good guy. He's like a little bit of both, you know? Um he you know, he's kind of their friend, but he's also just a kind of pain in the ass the whole time throughout the whole series. Um, yeah. Anyways, that's how I feel about Q. <laughs> Cool. All right, <laughs> well, so that was the end. Out of time. So I wanted to thank everybody for.